It's great to see each of you here this morning. I look across the crowd and see many familiar faces, and we're thankful for each of you who are here. I looked to my left, though, a few minutes ago and noticed that Miss Etta was sitting over there, and uh, it's great to see Miss Etta, and we're glad that you're here with us this morning. We have many who are out and about uh, traveling away from us. We do want to continue to remember them uh, in our prayers. We just sang about it, but how often do we really think about it? God's mercy. Mercy was great, and grace was free. And the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 3 that God is a God of mercy. The Bible tells us in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 4 that God is rich in mercy. And again, how often do we really stop and contemplate exactly what that means? How often do we stop and consider the mercy of God? Now, we think about the love of God. We think about the kindness of God. We think about the grace of God. This morning, I'd like to stop and contemplate for a few moments the mercy of God. And Brother Joe read for us a moment ago in, from Jeremiah chapter 33. And in verse number 11, he found there the word loving kindness. And you might have that same word in the translation you're reading from. Others of you might have the word steadfast love or the words steadfast love. And others of us have the word mercy. What I'd like to do this morning is to open up the book of Jeremiah and illustrate from the book of Jeremiah what it means to see the mercy of God. Now, before I do that, I want you to get the scene. I'm not questioning your knowledge of this information. I just want to make sure we're all on the very same page as we open the book of Jeremiah. I want you to understand that 930 years approximately before Jesus walked on this earth, that there was a great divide among God's people. And that divide took place where once there was unity of God's people, this great divide took place where now instead of one nation, you have two. Now you have the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. Approximately 722, this is neither here nor there perhaps to you, but you need to know that about in the year 722, the nation of Assyria came in and conquered that northern kingdom of Israel. And for all intents and purposes, that northern kingdom of Israel just goes into oblivion, never really to be the same ever again. And that southern kingdom failed to learn from her sister to the north. Failed to learn from her sister to the north and found itself walking in the same direction, the same path. And so God sends great men like Jeremiah to this nation, the southern nation of Judah, and says, you need to stop what you're doing. You need to know that there is a nation that is on the march against you. And so Jeremiah comes to warn God's people to repent. Now I want you to go back to chapter 1. And I want you to notice in Jeremiah chapter 1, these words where God first comes to this great prophet. I want you to see how his ministry really begins. This is just a little history as we get into our study this morning. And I want to begin reading in verse number 4, where there the Bible says, The word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah speaking, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I cannot speak, for I am a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say that I am a youth, for you shall go to all whom I send you, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. 
And the Lord put forth His hand, and He touched my mouth. And the Lord said to me, get this picture of inspiration in your mind. Behold, I have put my words in your mouth. See, I have this day set you over the nations and over the kingdoms to root out and to pull down, to destroy and to throw down, to build and to plant. And moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, Jeremiah, what do you see? And I said, I see a branch of an almond tree. And the Lord said to me, you've seen well. I'm ready to perform my word. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time saying, what do you see? And I said, I see a boiling pot, and it's facing away from the north. And the Lord said to me, Out of the north calamity shall break forth on all the inhabitants of the land. For behold, I am calling all the families of the kingdoms of the north, says the Lord. And they shall come, and each one set his throne at the entrance of the gates of Jerusalem, against its walls all around, and against all the cities of Judah. In verse 16, God says, I will utter my judgments against them concerning all their wickedness, because they have forsaken me burned incense to other gods, and worshipped the works of their own hands. And 17 says, Therefore, to Jeremiah, prepare yourself and arise, and to speak to them all that I command you, and do not be dismayed before their faces, lest I dismay you before them. For behold, I have made you this day a fortified city and an iron pillar, a bronze walls against the whole land, against the kings of Judah, against its princes, against its priests, and against all the people of the land. He says, They will fight against you. But they shall not prevail against you, for I am with you, says the Lord, to deliver you. The picture, brethren and friends, is rather bleak. And you find in here a question perhaps in your mind of, where's the mercy? What's this all about? You see, as we look at mercy in the New Testament in places like 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 3 and Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 5, verses 4 and 5, and see his connection there to love and kindness and grace. What are we dealing with when we talk about mercy? An easy way to look at it? God feels with you. The idea is connected to compassion. The idea of God's mercy is connected to love, and it's connected to goodness, but it's connected to the fact that God feels with you, and He knows what you're going through, and He has compassion on you. But in Jeremiah chapter 33, someone has said, if you want to get really to the heart of the word that is found there, the Hebrew word chesed, if you want to get to the heart of the idea of that word mercy then what you need to get in your mind is that God is persistent in His desire never to let His people go. Now think about that. God is persistent in His refusal to let His people go. How does that tie here to chapter 1? Don't you see what's happening? Don't you see that God has said, my people have gone against me, and Jeremiah, you're going to stand up, and you're going to go to them. And I want you to know, Jeremiah, as he says in verse number 15, there are nations from the north who are going to come, and they're going to set up camp right outside Jerusalem. They're going to destroy this place. Why? Verse 16, because these people are wicked. Because my people have turned against me. And instead of worshiping the Creator, they've started worshiping the creature. And because of this, God says, I'm going to have to let them go. But Jeremiah, you're going to go and you're going to talk to this nation. Now, hang with me because this is really important for us to grasp. 
On the one hand, God says, there's this nation coming against my people, and, and they're going to take them. All right, but with Jeremiah, you need to go and you need to warn them. But this morning, brethren and friends, we're talking about God's mercy. I want to illustrate it with three different stories or three different ways that God illustrates it in the book of Jeremiah. I want you to see this picture, all right? So hang with me as we go through these three pictures because God is the ultimate illustrator. And I want you to see these pictures that He paints for us and it will help us, I hope, to get a better grasp on who God is. In Jeremiah chapter 13, here's the first picture I want us to look at. Now listen. We're going to do some reading this morning. I don't apologize for that. I want you to see this, okay? So open up your Bible and notice with me what it says, beginning in verse number 1 of Jeremiah chapter 13. Jeremiah says, Thus the Lord said to me, Go and get yourself a linen sash. Put it around your waist, but do not put it in water. So I got a sash according to the word of the Lord, and I put it around my waist. And the word of the Lord came to me a second time, saying, Take the sash that you acquired, which is around your waist, and arise, and go to the Euphrates, and hide it there in a hole in the rock. So I went and hid it by the Euphrates, as the Lord commanded me. And it came to pass, after many days, that the Lord said to me, Arise, and go to the Euphrates, and take from there the sash, the sash which I commanded you to hide there. And I went to the Euphrates, and dug, and I took the sash from the place where I had hidden it, and there was the sash... Ruined, profitable for nothing. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, In this manner I will ruin the pride of Judah and the great pride of Jerusalem. This evil people who refuse to hear my words, who follow the dictates of their hearts and walk after other gods to serve and worship them, they shall be just like this sash, profitable for nothing. For as the sash clings to the waist of a man, so I have caused the whole house of Israel and the whole house of Judah to cling to me, says the Lord, that they may become my people for renown, for praise, and for glory. But they would not hear. Now I want you to get this picture in your mind. You can read it. I want you to see it. I want you to really see it in your mind, exactly what God is saying here. He says, Jeremiah, I want you to go and get this sash. You know, other translations, you've got a word girdle, you've got loincloth, you've got different words, belt perhaps. You know that in that day and time, they they had an outer garment and and they had an inner garment, much like we might today. But this inner garment was a girdle, so to speak. We don't really wear those much anymore. But you understand what we're talking about. This inner garment worn in intimate places that was right and covering the skin. Jeremiah, I want you to go and get one of those. And I want you to, uh, to get, make sure it's linen, right? No other kind of material. I want you to get a linen sash, this girdle. And I want you to wear it. And I want you to wash it. I don't want any water to touch it. And after so long, he says, all right, now I want you to take that which you've worn. And I want you to go to the, the Euphrates River. That's about 250 miles away. And so I want you to go to the Euphrates And I want you to find a a rock there where the river is. And I want you to take that linen sash and I want you to to bury it in a rock. Now you've got a linen sash, a picture of purity. It's good and he's worn it. And he takes it off and he places it there in a rock. And he goes home. And after a number of days, we don't know how long, the Bible says, God says, now Jeremiah, I want you to go back. And I want you to find that sash that you hid in the rock. And you know what happens there when he gets back. You've thrown something in a lake. uh, You've had something in a river uh, that was clean. And 
What did it look like when you pulled it out? You go swim in a lake. You go swim in a river. And I wonder, what are you going to do with those clothes? You're just going to wear them the next day and everything's going to be okay? You're going to wash them, right? You know the smell that comes from swimming in a lake generally, right? Or in a large river. And so he pulls this out of the rock after many days of it being there. And he says, it's ruined. This is no good. I can't use it anymore. And it's a picture that God is painting of His people, isn't it? He says, I was intimate with them. They were my people. I had this great intimate relationship with them. They were my people. This was my nation. And now I find that they are worthless. I find that they are good for nothing. They're profitable for nothing. That's the condition that they find themselves in. But I want you to see the picture in verse 11. God says that's not how it was to be. God says this was to be my people. They were to be renowned by me. They were to be my people for praise and for glory. That's the way it was designed, you see. This was the relationship that I formed with them. These were to be my people and they were to be my my praise. They were to bring glory to me. But what happened? The end of verse 11 says, they wouldn't listen to me. Now, I can't adequately describe how sad the picture is, but I want you to understand that the picture is a picture of rebellion. Those who would rebel against God. Now, God says, this was my people. This was my nation. I formed them. I wanted this great relationship with them. But they have become wicked. They've become evil. They've been puffed up with pride. And they've rebelled against me. I want you to get the picture of the sash in your mind, okay? And understand that this is worthless to me. It's not profitable to me any longer because it's a picture of rebellion. They've gone against me. Now, turning your Bibles over to chapter 18. Here's picture number two. Of all the illustrations given in the book of Jeremiah, this perhaps is my favorite. It's going to be pretty familiar, I hope, to you. But I want you to read it with me, beginning in verse 1 of chapter 18. The word which came to Jeremiah from the Lord, saying, Arise and go down to the potter's house, and there I will cause you to hear my words. I went down to the potter's house, and there he was, making something at the wheel. And the vessel that he made of clay was marred in the hand of the potter... So he made it again into another vessel, as it seemed good to the potter to make. And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, O house of Israel, can I not do with you as this potter, says the Lord? Look, as the clay is in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. The instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to pluck up or to pull down and to destroy it, if that nation against whom I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent from the disaster that I thought to bring upon it. And the instant I speak concerning a nation and concerning a kingdom to build and plant it, if it does evil in my sight so that it does not obey my voice, then I will relent concerning the good which, with which I said I would benefit it. Now therefore, speak to the men of Judah and to the inhabitants of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am fashioning a disaster and devising a plan against you. Return now everyone from his evil way and make your ways and your doings Good. Here's the second picture. A potter sitting at the potter's wheel. 
I don't know how many of you have witnessed a potter sitting at the potter's wheel. Even if you've not witnessed it firsthand, you have an idea in your mind of what that scene looks like, right? You know what that looks like as a potter would take a lump of clay and and he would throw it onto the wheel, uh, adhering it to the wheel, and it would spin and he would be able to form something out of that lump that would be useful. Now, I remember being in grade school and I remember receiving a lump of clay from the art teacher and that teacher saying, go ahead and make something. And I remember uh, my attempt to make something. And I know that when I took it home to my mother that she was just as proud of it as she could be, but wondering what in the world it was. I don't know what that turned out to be. Some bowl of some kind that would hold nothing, but it was my mother and she had to be proud of it. And that's just part of it. Jeremiah walks into the potter's house and sees him sitting at the wheel and observes as he takes this lump of clay, throws it onto the wheel, adheres it to the wheel, and begins to make something. And yet, as he was making something, the Bible says, Jeremiah saw that it became marred. He messed up. It wasn't going to be useful in that condition. And so what he does is he takes it off the wheel, puts it all back together into a lump, throws it back on the wheel so it adheres, and he makes something useful. Jeremiah, get the picture in your mind of what we're dealing with. God says, I am the potter, and my people are my clay. And I can fashion, and I can make use of them if they will adhere, if they will do what I say, if they will love me and obey me. You see, it's a picture of a loving God and an all-powerful God. And He says, listen to me. As long as you will obey me, everything works out. Even if you have in your mind that that you're going to be evil and against me, he says, if you will turn from that evil, I can use you. But if you're going along and you decide to rebel and and you decide to turn against me, and God says, I can't use that. All right? That's not useful to me. But you need to see who I am. This is such a a powerful uh, verse. This picture is so powerful. Because how many times have have we as Christians been disappointed in ourselves? Disappointed, perhaps, in the service that we have rendered to God. And we get upset with ourselves and we say, Wow, God, how can you use me? Or this, This looks so bleak. What kind of God do you have? When you think of God, I want you to think of this picture. This is God sitting at the wheel. And He is able to take you and me, and make something useful for Him. Never get disappointed or down to the point that you think that God can't use you. God is sitting behind the wheel and He is able to use us. And it's an expression of God's mercy. And in His mercy, God says, I want to do good by you. I want you to be useful for me. I can use you. And it's an expression of His mercy. We need to be reminded of this. God says, I can use you. And He begs us to be with Him. He begs us to just stay with Him. And we can be used by Him. Now, I want you to look at the third picture. In chapter 32. Friends, when these words are penned, 
Nebuchadnezzar's Babylonian army is literally at the door. And they are just about to break through. And Jerusalem is going to fall. The temple will be destroyed. And Jeremiah, as he writes in chapter 32, is in prison. Why? Because the king didn't like what he was saying. Because he was speaking on behalf of God and the king didn't want to hear it. And so the king has taken Jeremiah and he's thrown him into prison even as the enemy is knocking at the door, getting ready to burst into the city of Jerusalem and take it over. That's the backdrop of chapter 32. And here is our third picture. And we begin reading in verse number 6. Jeremiah said, The word of the Lord came to me, saying, Behold, Hanamel, the son of Shalom, your uncle, will come to you, saying, Buy my field, which is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is yours to buy it. Then Hanamel, my uncle's son, came to me in the court of the prison according to the word of the Lord. And he said to me, Please buy my field that is in Anathoth, which is in the country of Benjamin. For the right of inheritance is yours and the redemption yours. Buy it for yourself. And I knew that this was the word of the Lord. So Jeremiah says in verse 9, I I bought the field from Hanamel, the son of my uncle, who was in Anathoth, and weighed out to him the money, 17 shekels of silver. And I signed the deed and sealed it, took witnesses and weighed the money on the scales. So I took the purchase deed, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom and that which was open. And I gave the purchase deed to Baruch, the son of Neriah, son of Messiah, in the presence of Hanamel, my uncle's son, and in the presence of the witnesses who signed the purchase deed before all the Jews who sat in the court of the prison. And I charged Baruch before them, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Take these deeds, uh, this, both this purchase deed which is sealed and the deed which is open, and put them in earthen vessel that they may last many days. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Houses and fields and vineyards shall be possessed again in this land. Here's your third picture. Jeremiah is sitting in prison. The enemy is knocking at the door, ready to burst in and take over. And Jeremiah's cousin comes to the prison. And he says, hey, uh, cuz, cousin, my uncle has this, or your uncle has this piece of land over there in your home in Anathoth. And why don't you buy it? You know, when things got so destitute and somebody couldn't retain the land, they would go uh, to their next of kin and say, you keep it, so you buy it, so it stays in the family, all right? And so, uh, hey, hey, Jeremiah, why don't you buy your uncle's field over there in Anathoth? Now, you're sitting in prison. The enemy's knocking at the door. They're ready to come in and overtake the land. What good is a field to me? What good is that field? I'm never going to see it. I'm never going to use it. Why would I want to buy a field? And so if God couldn't come to Jeremiah first, I don't think Jeremiah takes the deal. There's no way. That's never going to be used by me. But God has said, you buy the field. And so Jeremiah does. Now, again, this is the honesty of Jeremiah. He takes scales and he weighs out 17 shekels of silver and he makes sure that he pays exactly what the field is worth in that time, you know, that's shekels of silver that he probably could have used to, I don't know, buy food. God has said, I want you to buy the land. And so he buys the land. And what's the purpose? 
you know, Jeremiah is going to be carried off into Babylonian captivity with everybody else. He is going to die over there. But what's the purpose? God says, there are going to be people back here. That field is going to be used by your people in the future. Things look bleak right now. You're sitting in prison. The enemy's at the door. They're going to come in. They're going to take you all captive. But there are going to be some of you who remain. And those who remain are going to come back. And they're going to plant fields, plant vineyards in your fields. You got the picture? The sash. The potter's wheel. And the field. Now how do you take those pictures... And tie it in with God's mercy. As we begin to wind down this morning, I want you to see two things. Number one, God says, I cannot condone unrighteousness. I cannot condone unrighteousness. So I don't want you to walk out this door and say, well, we serve a merciful God. And he is persistent in his refusal to let his people go. And therefore, I can just live however I want to live as one of his people. And God is going to accept it. Because he's merciful. No. No. God says, I cannot condone unrighteousness. If you go against me, you are to me as that linen sash. Unprofitable. You need to understand that. And so if you choose to go the way of rebellion and you choose to go against me, and you choose to remain in that condition, I'm merciful, but that doesn't extend to you in that condition. You need to know that. Now listen to me, because we're talking about one of the great attributes of our great God. And we need to understand that He has a standard, doesn't He? That He is just, and He is going to do all things that are right. There is a point where God would have to give them over. We see this picture even again in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 32. If you're going to continue to go down that path, I'm not going to stop you. I'm giving you a choice. And if you choose to remain there, you're not going to be profitable. Though I want to have an intimate relationship with you, I will let you go. But brethren, here's number two. And friends... Number one, I can't condone unrighteousness. But number two, I will never forget you. I will never forget you. I will never forget you. I always have you on my mind. And so we bring in the picture of the potter. And he says, though you might be marred, I can still make something of you. I I want to make something of you. I want you to be with me. I want this relationship with you. I refuse to give up on you. That's the mercy of God. Though you might choose to rebel, I will never give up on you. And if you choose to come back to me, I will accept you. I will receive you. I will make something of you. What's the picture of the field? You know what God says? I have your future on my mind. I have your future on my mind. And I go back now to Jeremiah chapter 33. And in this section of Scripture of Jeremiah that is very messianic, that is, looking ahead to the time of Jesus, 
I want you to understand that what he says here is very messianic. He's looking into the future, even of, of Jesus coming and offering you and I, even as Gentiles, salvation. And so he says these streets, as Brother Joe read for us now several minutes ago, these streets which are empty, these streets that have no people walking on them and no animals who are roaming about, these streets one day are going to be filled with joy again. These streets are going to be filled with people who are uh, having weddings, the bride and the bridegroom. These are going to be streets that are filled with joy in the future. And so I pick up in verse 12. Thus says the Lord of hosts, In this place which is desolate, without man and without beast, and in all its cities, there shall again be a dwelling place of shepherds causing their flocks to lie down. In the cities of the mountains, in the cities of the lowland, in the cities of the south, in the land of Benjamin, in the places all around Jerusalem, and in the cities of uh, Judah, the flock shall again pass under the hands of him who counts them, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, that I will perform that good thing that which I have promised to the house of Israel and to the house of Judah. Listen to me. Verse 15 says, In those days and at that time I will cause to grow up to David a branch of righteousness. He shall execute judgment and righteousness in the earth. In those days Judah will be saved and Jerusalem will dwell safely. And this is the name by which she will be called the Lord our righteousness. He's looking ahead, brethren and friends, to the time of Jesus. What he says is, I will be merciful. I have your future on my mind. I am looking to the time of ultimate deliverance when Jesus will come and He will deliver my people. And I will have you and we will be in a covenant relationship together. Again, looking ahead to the Christian age, we will be in a covenant relationship with each other and God says, I will be merciful. My steadfast love, my loving kindness endures forever. I am persistent and my refusal to let my people go. I will not let you go. And so the choice becomes ours, doesn't it? It becomes ours. Which picture will we find ourselves painting of our lives? Will we choose to be as the linen sash, unprofitable, good for nothing, not in a right relationship with God, but finding ourselves rebelling against Him. My friend, you cannot have it both ways. You cannot be right with God and right with the devil at the same time. You have to be right with God. Our merciful God says, I want you to choose me, and I will never give up on you. I will stay with you. You be faithful to me. Which picture will you choose? Will you choose to be clay in the hands of the great potter? Will you choose to allow his word to mold you, to do what he says you must? Will you obey him and his mercy come to him? My friend, he has paved the way for you to be right. He has paved the way for you to have a bright future in heaven with him. Which will you choose? Will you come to him today? You have a merciful high priest... He has paid the price for your sin. Will you come and be saved? Come this morning, my friend, believing that Jesus Christ is the Son of God with a willingness to repent of sin in your life 
a willingness to confess your faith in Jesus as the Son of God, and a willingness to be buried in the waters of baptism. The Bible says this is necessary because it is there that your old man is crucified, that old man of sin is put to death, and you rise to walk in newness of life. It is there that your sins are forgiven. Will you come to Him today? Oh, a merciful God stands ready to receive you. Will you come as together we stand and sing?